Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality, and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year and the numbers become astronomical. AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just going to be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds. time to officially kick off another CMC Live here on CoinMarketCap app. What are the biggest opportunities in crypto unveiling everything you should be looking at during the next bull cycle with not only me, your host Gabriel, but also Alice Liu, which is our head of research here on CoinMarketCap. You guys know her very well already, but also Roe. Oh, Alice, I mean, I think you should be the one voice to ask for introduction for Ro. So first of all, <laughs> thanks for joining me today in this interview. And then you can pass the word on to Ro. Amazing. Thanks for everyone tuning in today. I'm very excited to have Rao Paul with us. We have a lot planned for today. So we have three sections. Uh, firstly, uh, we'd like to go through a year in review, talk about some key events, uh, what's driving the market. The everything code discussion is going to be very interesting as well. Institutional investors. The second part, uh, we will look at the diff different narratives, indicators, trends. Uh, and last but not least, I would love to ask uh, Raul in the last section about what are you holding, sir, your portfolio? And also, we have some very interesting uh, fire questions as well for you. 100% and Raul officially then now welcome to CMC Live. It's a pleasure to have you here. We are very much excited for this conversation. Fantastic. I'm excited for it too. 100%. Raul, before we get started, I know a lot of people know you. I mean, a lot of people know Real Vision, know you, know your takes on crypto, etc. But I feel like not a lot of people, and myself, I do not know that. And I'm eager to know your first crypto experience, like how you actually got into crypto, how you heard of crypto the first time, and a little bit, not long story, but a little bit of a background for the people that don't know you. But I'm actually very excited for that story about your first crypto experience. That is definitely going to be something for the ages, I guess. So my story is um, I was working in finance, working for Goldman Sachs, uh, selling equity derivatives and equities to uh, the world's biggest hedge funds. And I ran that business for many years and then eventually decided to move to Spain and started writing Global Macro Investor, which is my institutional research service, which I've been writing for 19 years. Um, while I was in Spain, I saw the financial uh, crisis coming in 2008. I was 
very worried about the debt burden in the global economy and the banking system. And I was worried it was going to blow up. And I managed to predict that and actually do quite well out of it. Then in Europe, um, we had a second crisis in 2010, 11, 12, which was the European financial crisis, where we almost lost not only the banking system in many countries in Europe, from Spain, where I was living, to Italy, to uh, Cyprus, to Greece, obviously, but we almost lost governments as well. They almost went bankrupt. And it was over that period, and again, I was lucky enough to forecast uh, that as well. But over that period, I had started to, to think, okay, what can I do about this? Because people will come up to me in the street and said, why don't we know? Why don't we know about this? What can we do about it? Because now we've realized that everything, that we don't own anything in the financial system. If you were in Cyprus, they took the money from your bank to bail out the bank, from your cash bank account. And so everybody started to realize they owned nothing. And the whole industry, the finance industry, realized that nobody owned anything because everything got rehypothecated, re-lent out many, many times in the system. And that was one of the big problems of 2008. So two parts of that journey. In two, about 2012, I started thinking about, well, how can I help people in their journey? And that was the start of Real Vision. So we thought, okay, let's bring the world's best analysts, strategists, um, hedge fund managers, and let them have deep dive conversations and let people listen in. That was the kind of information nobody got at the time. The other side of the equation is I went around the world trying to start the world's safest bank with a bunch of famous hedge fund guys and family offices to try and get a bank that didn't use leverage. But we eventually got told by the US authorities that they didn't want that because it would take all of the deposits from the banking system because everybody else was levered and this would be totally secure, which was quite a shock. But at the same time, an old friend of mine called Emil Woods, who was a Global Macro Investor subscriber, another ex-Goldman guy, um, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, have you looked at Bitcoin? So this was 2012. So I wrote the first ever, I, I, I saw it and realized immediately that not only was Bitcoin an answer to um, kind of the system of money and new digital gold, but I also realized that blockchain rails were going to be the rails for the new financial system when it gets built, that it had to be built because it was totally broken. And so I wrote the first macroeconomic strategy paper on Bitcoin in 2013. Nobody had ever written one before. Um, and I started investing in 2013. So it's been a big part of my journey. It's been a big part of Real Vision's journey and our first ever video in 2014 we talked about Bitcoin and the opportunity it's going to give people in the future. I think it's up 250,000% since that first video. Um, so that's my crypto journey. I was very early. Uh, I kind of saw the bigger picture back then. That's my job as a macro guy and have been involved in the space ever since. I, I would say that you were as early as we can be probably in the space and definitely sounds like an OG there, just like a crazy background, a lot of experience, like in many big places, big names, as you mentioned, for example, Goldman, etc. So I just feel like it adds a lot of experience to what you've been doing and just like know, I mean, how much you're into crypto and stuff, just like for the people that are, don't have a financial background that are just getting started and get a feel for crypto, it helped them, I think, to just see that are very, I mean, a lot of people that are very much into the markets way before them, that are still here and that are very well succeeded, not just into crypto, but also doing other stuff before that kind of like adds a layer of, yes, I think I'm doing the right thing. You know that? What do you think, Alice? Do you do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. And also just a quick thing on Real Vision, I watch it religiously. It's a really oh, good fantastic. platform. 
Thank <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, I think I, I started when it had、uh, 10,000 subscribers, and today I think,、uh, sir, your YouTube channel has something close to 700,000. So it's really nice to see the community grow. Yeah, that's amazing. And then we've got, you know, we've obviously got subscription-based services and a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's actually free to join at realvision.com. Just people can go there, and you can use our everything from our AI tools to our pricing and charting, through to all the videos, the transcripts, tons of stuff. It's it's an amazing platform. Definitely, and thanks for doing that. Also, since we have you here today, I would love to、uh, use this opportunity to do a year in review, almost. Because what a crazy year!、Uh, if we look back in November last year, Bitcoin was something between sixteen thousand US dollar. And just right before we start the live today, we are、uh, above thirty-eight thousand. So it's it, even Bitcoin alone this year has gone up like one hundred thirty percent. And if we look back this year, so many different things happened, key events. So I I was wondering what are the key things that have left、uh, a mark on if you look back for this year for the crypto journey. So for me, it's the thing that I've learned since two thousand twelve. Is that almost everything? All of the news that gets people scared or excited, most of it is all noise. You know, if you've been around in the space as long as I have, you've seen exchanges go bust. You've seen legal issues, regulatory issues. You've seen so much stuff, and it's all noise of a maturing space. And the key driver of all of this, I got incredibly bullish at the end of last year,、um, based on. Global liquidity in the business cycle, which we'll come onto a bit in the exponential、uh, into the、um, everything code stuff, but but I, I started seeing that,、uh, and what was, and so I had I had not sold anything from the previous cycle, but I just started to add as much as I could, suggesting that was the low, and that whole thesis has played out with all of the noise, all of the screaming and shouting, all of the drama over Twitter. The markets have just gone higher, and I think that was a shock to many many people. But overall, if I look back and say what was last year about, last year was you know a lot of people getting over their scars from the previous year. Yeah, twenty twenty three was a, a year of getting over the scars from twenty twenty two. People lost a lot of money in you know FTX and BlockFi and Celsius and all of these things. But what was happening in twenty twenty three is the signs of. People saying, "Okay, well, that way of doing decentralized exchanges didn't work. Let's work on new things." The space kind of got together and trying to figure out, "Okay, where are the problems in the space? How can we solve them, and how can we iterate and improve?" And that was something that I've always seen in this space. They kind of learn every time something goes wrong because they're building an entirely net new financial system here. That's what everybody's building. You know, it's the, it's the value system of the internet. Nobody's got all the answers, so you have to make mistakes to get the right answers. So I saw that, and I saw the regulators around the world changing their tunes. You know, between Singapore, Switzerland, Europe,、uh, and then the UK and the Middle East, all becoming much more proactive in regulating the space and realizing where this space is going.、Uh, the US is, you know, further behind. But you know that battle is ongoing, and it, it'll get sorted out in in the end. But so we saw this kind of maturing of the space overall, learning from the past cycle. There'll there'll be mistakes in the next cycle too, but learning from the past cycle, building upon it, and then getting the regulators to realise that crypto is not going away. Also, you know, if I step back and observe, we saw a lot of big brands using Web three. So I thought that was still interesting. A lot of the big car companies, 
you know, Starbucks using loyalty points, um, Ticketmaster um, using ticketing and other stuff. There's, there was a lot of interest in blockchain technology. And also, if you filter out the noise, you can see the entire financial system is getting behind this. Many big financial firms are testing blockchain rails for settlement of securities. We're seeing r- r- real world assets come on chain. So we're seeing what I call crypto spring. And that's what I call 2023 was crypto spring. And that's the whole point. That's why it went up in price as crypto spring. You know, it thaws winter. The days get warmer, a bit sunnier, but not all the time. You know, one day it's raining. Next day it's got frost. But every day over time, over spring, things get warmer. And that's what it's been like. Interesting to see. Yeah, go ahead, Alice. You're going to add to it. Yeah, no, I think this is a very good narrative because um, exactly how we feel about the market right now. Uh, given how however much happened last year, November time last year was just right after FTX bankruptcy. And then we've gone through the ordinals, the meme coins, the AI, FTX trial, Binance now shifting CEO, and then a lot of the different narratives and developments, as you said. So definitely echo that. Not just yeah. that, Alice, I feel like just before jumping roll, just to give people more perspective on that, like on November 28th of 2022, exactly one year ago, BTC price was like 16K. We are now like 38K. So if that not gives you, that gives you kind of like a, at least something to look at and say, hey, have some perspective. Like may, we are not probably in the best shape or in the best moment that we ever been, but definitely things are moving in the right path, I think, right? Yeah, and look, this is the whole game in crypto. It is a long-term time horizon. I'm not a big fan of trading it because the long-term trend is so strong. And so when you get these cyclical sell-offs driven by the economy, the interest rate cycle, the business cycle, is when you should be buying. And what happens is everybody panics and sells. And it's having the discipline to say, listen, I'm in this trade for five years or whatever the length of time is. And so if if I've got any cash and I see these really ridiculously discounted prices at the bottom of the business cycle, and NASDAQ was selling off, it was recession talk everywhere, those are the opportunities. And if you buy in those opportunities, you compound your returns much higher than if you wait for a bull signal to happen wherever that is, because you end up buying so much higher. So if you've got that long-term time horizon and you have that fundamental belief that crypto is going to keep growing, you know, the number of wallets, um, the number of active wallets in crypto in 2022, when the market was down 80%, grew 42%. And it tells you that this is not going away. So you use information like that to give you confidence to add to your investments when everybody else is panicking out. 100%. 100%. And since you have been just like kind of like uh, mentioning it here and there, I want to start to dive deep with you into the everything code discussion because I feel like that helps people understand a little bit. And like, of course, I don't know exactly what is the everything code, but you have been, I mean, giving some hints here and there to people in terms of indicators, like things that you look at, for example, mentioning uh, the liquidity cycle, etc. How that, if you can just like unpack a little bit the concept of liquidity cycle as well, and also how those macro affect crypto because I think one of the things that you mentioned that for me makes a lot of sense is just like not necessarily the halving being the main catalyst for crypto cycles, but actually the halving um, very well time it into macro cycles that actually uh, kind of like helps to set up that, um, that the halving narrative, let's put it like this. So I wanted you to just like 
chime in a little bit and I mean help people to understand what the everything code is about and your take also on the halving liquidity cycle and all that, which I think will open the mind of a lot of the listeners here. Of course. So it's it's actually pretty simple. It's 2008, all of the major governments, the UK, Europe, the US, Japan, China, everybody hit 100% of GDP in debt or more. And that led into the financial crisis because the private sector was in debt as well. So there was way too much debt and economic growth was not growing fast enough to service the debt. So if you don't have the income to pay your interest payments, you go bust. And that's what happened. So what happened was a lot of people talk about something called a debt jubilee, which is when all debts get forgiven. That's kind of a biblical thing that's happened over centuries where you know, some benevolent leader says, we don't, you don't need to pay your debts. People will say, well, we're going to have to reset the debts. But what we did in 2009 was something different, or 2008. What we did was say, you know what, instead of forgiving all the debts because it's too much and we can't do it, we're going to let you not pay interest rates. And that is what zero interest rate policy was. And then behind it, they said, well, not only that, but we're going to print dollars and all currencies so there's enough currency in the system and that is debasement of currency and what that does is optically make asset prices rise so this was the story of 2008 2009 now when you reset all government debt at zero interest what they all did was kind of go out three to five years and borrow money in three to five year bonds that means every four years, they have to repay the interest and reset because they never pay off the debt from the previous cycle. What they do is they have to issue more bonds to pay the interest on the previous bonds, which is what's been going on recently, which is why the bond market got upset. So that creates a business cycle every four years like clockwork because it's the debt refi cycle of all the major governments. And so the economy follows that cycle because, you know, as the economy is growing, interest rates end up rising. The economy starts slowing down because the interest payments are too big. And before you know it, we end up with stimulus. They cut rates or they keep rates flat, but they end up using the balance sheet. And the everything code was the discovery that the use of the balance sheet, so the Fed balance sheet, the ECB balance sheet, all of these things, was exactly just the payment of interest rates on the debt of the previous four-year cycle. So when you understand that, you also see that, that cycle, those cycle dates, 2008, 2012, 2016, they're all the halving years. Why? Because Bitcoin was born out of the financial crisis. So it has the same birth date as zero interest rates and this whole debt cycle. It also happens to be the election cycle. Why? Because as you come into this point in the election cycle, so we're coming into a US election next year, the incumbent government tends to stimulate to try and stimulate growth, and a new government tends to stimulate to start winning um, points for the next um, midterm elections. So there's this incredible cycle that exists. And what you can do is using a lot of the forward-looking indicators we've got based around 
the interest payments, for example, from the pandemic, you can start to extrapolate where the central bank balance sheets are going. And what we found is, if you look at some global liquidity forecasts that we've got, it actually explains like 97.5% of the entire movement of the NASDAQ and about 87% of crypto. The reason why it's less of crypto is crypto bull markets tend to be exponential, so it lowers the correlation. So basically, the crypto cycle is the macro cycle, and it's driven by the liquidity created by the central banks to service their own debts. And for me, if this continues, now, this is, you know, it's still a thesis, even though it's been going on for a while, but I only discovered it two or three years ago, is uh, two years ago, if this continues, then it is a gift of an opportunity because we understand the world with which we're living, which is nobody can pay the debts, nobody can pay the interest on the debts, and therefore it ends up becoming expansionary monetary policy, which debases the currency and causes assets to rise. Now, this is exactly the reason why crypto exists. It was, a, it was to stop. It was to find a way out from this. And so that's why it tends to do very well, because it's a massive adoption of a technology, the fastest ever adoption of a technology and the fastest moving asset price in all history. And what you find is that, that over time, people start to understand that, that this liquidity cycle and the debasement of currency, the answer is migrating across to the new financial system. I called it in the past the Bitcoin life raft. It's the life raft to save you from losing your savings. And also the life raft to save you from the debasement of currency and the fact that wages don't go up um, as much as asset prices. So you kind of get poorer all the time. You can't afford a house. So the average millennial is struggling to buy a house because their wages don't match the increase in asset prices. And crypto is the levelizer for all of that. Yeah, I think that's definitely a very good analysis. It's a very, um, it's interesting to hear this, um, based on how it also uh, the the trend of crypto market is very much linked to the traditional market and the liquidity and the monetary policy. And I think right now, given how complex the market is, and uh, not just the different economic policies, but also geographical dif- uh, risks that we are seeing with the wars going on, it's very confusing for traditional investors. So I think that's why some of them are looking at crypto into this space and see if there are any opportunities here. So naturally, I actually want to uh, tap on that a little bit to talk about institutional investors, because first thing first is definitely I want to ask about your view on the spot uh, BTC ETFs. Do you see any potential SEC approval? Um, What do you think um, the the magnitude of this? Okay, so I'm going to frame how to think about this in a different way. So yes, I think it gets approved, whether it happens before Christmas or in January, who knows, but either way, it's coming. But what does this mean? So you've got to understand a framework of, okay, we have this TradFi fiat world, which is the regular economy we live in, that's ruled by dollars or yuan or yen or euros, whatever. And then we have this new crypto land, which is this new digital economy that is borderless and, in, and growing incredibly fast. So when you think about economies, you look at a co- economies and economic growth is driven by population growth, 
productivity growth and debt growth. So in fiat world, population is now shrinking or slowing down in most countries around the world, major countries. Productivity has been low because of an aging population and debt growth blew up in 2008 and debt growth now is just servicing of old debts. So lo and behold, you've got a slow economy. Crypto land, we had a massive recession in 2022, down 80% in prices. And what we saw was a 42% increase in population, new active wallets. And it's now, it keeps growing. So we've got a massive increase in population in this new emerging economy. It's growing faster than any economy in history. And it's generating enormous return on investment for anybody involved in it who's got a long enough time horizon. So the ETF is, you need to think of it as a trade deal between fiat world and crypto land. So it doesn't guarantee that people are going to make investments into crypto land, but the trade agreement means that they can. Now, the question is, all of the fiat world investors are going to say is, am I going to get a higher return on my investment in crypto land or fiat world? And with a year like this year, it's very clear that when the business cycle is going to recover, crypto land will do better. So we will see, I think, both the Bitcoin and ETH ETF when they come over time, seeing a lot of money pouring into crypto land. We're also seeing in crypto land, fiat world companies setting up offices. And what I mean by that is people like Fidelity. Franklin Templeton, BlackRock, um, all of these people, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, they're all kind of setting up offices in this new world and being involved with it. That's really interesting. On the flip side, we've got Coinbase, for example, which is a crypto land company that's got its main offices in fiat world. So we've got this new economy that's global, frictionless, and growing at an astonishing pace. And the ETFs are gonna be a way to allow people to invest out of the fiat world into this world in a way that is easier for them to manage. Hey everyone, we're gonna take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again, March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holds barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together. I was wondering, because we already have existing BTC products out there like MicroStrategy. So I don't know with this ETF approval, what do you think uh, is going to happen with the existing products? Well, you know, MicroStrategy is not a product. It's a, it's a corporation with a lot of Bitcoin on its balance sheet. So my guess is that unless their traditional business grows, it will trade 
uh, maybe a discount. Like, much like the GBTC uh, trusted, it ended up trading at a discount because there's other options. So it probably trades at a discount. Um, now, what does it do to the crypto miners? I think they're probably fine. They're underinvested anyway. Um, I think, you know, stuff like Coinbase does very well in this environment. But the Bitcoin ETF, really, how I think of it is, yes, there's some traditional market companies that will not have the flows because there's more access now. But really, it's that money that flows into the crypto economy and gets recycled out the risk curve in the crypto economy that can have an astonishing impact. Because what happens is as soon as people start making gains in Bitcoin, it starts spreading into ETH and into Solana and then down the risk curve and out to NFTs and all over the economy. And that's typical of a, you know, a trade deal. If, you know, the US has a trade deal with China and they start building factories, those factories, workers, they get money, they start buying stuff and, and it becomes this multiplying process. So, so, yeah, look, yes, it makes some issue for some companies, but over time, it's net good for everybody. As I, I like to say here, Alice, not sure if you agree with that and also your role, but just like being here to see all that play out and all that just like in front of our eyes, just like being in the crypto space during this unique time, I'll say, because let's let's face it, it's only going to happen like one time. The first Bitcoin ETF approval in the US is only going to happen one time. The first ETH ETF, same thing. And just like getting to, I mean, to feel, to be here, to have our skin in the game when all those things take place is going to be very valuable because as you said, Ro, like you're in the market since 2013. So you have experienced a lot of things in the market. You know stuff that a lot of people that are listening to us right here don't know about. There are many people that have been in the market as long as you or even a little bit longer, maybe, who knows? But like, I think that experience just adds value to it in many, many different ways. And I think that is just a special time that we're living in. So guys, make sure to enjoy it and like take uh, advantage of the opportunities and I think I have a question for you exactly when I talk about opportunities role because as you mentioned before during our initial part of the chat today a lot of narratives going around in crypto right but we do have the fundamental indicators as well so how can how do you think people can actually navigate narratives versus indicators etc like any tips for the audience because I do know for example you do take a lot into consideration Metcalf's law for example so do you think that is something that people should be looking more at which type of indicators do you look to make a and let's say a correlation between Metcalf's law and assets in the crypto to space, etc. So just help people that are completely lost here, like what they should be looking at. Okay, so here's the the weird thing about Metcalfe's Law. So Metcalfe's Law, for people who don't understand, is how you value networks, because we live in this digital network age, is how you value kind of the value of a mobile phone network or something like Facebook, whatever it may be. And it's basically the number of people on the network and the number of connections between them. Uh, or the amount of value that gets exchanged on that network. And so I started thinking about this and started trying to build out some models for cryptocurrencies on this. And I found out that the best fit was the number of active users in a week or a month, you take the period, and then the amount of value transacted on that um, protocol over that same period of time. And what I found is when I put those together, it exactly mirrored the price even though price was not a component of either of those two things. And that gave me this kind of shocking realization that crypto was valued correctly. 
it's valued correctly at most periods of time. And that worked for pretty much every chain I looked at. So that says the price is correct as of today. So there's no kind of price arbitrage. So then it's looking into the future is what can change that equation. How do you increase the number of active addresses or the value transacted on chain? So then it's looking at, you know, what are the use cases being built? This is how I got into Ethereum in the last cycle is I realized Ethereum was building a ton of use cases and it was a very active chain. It's what got me into Solana this time around for the same reasons, because if you start, the prices are more exponential the earlier in that trend, but it's difficult to pick early stage tokens because you don't really know if it's going to get network fit. But the moment you see network fit and Metcalf's law in action, you know there's a big opportunity. So I, so Metcalf's law doesn't help. So I find bizarrely that obviously technical analysis, if price is right, gives you some sort of comfort where you are and where you're going. You know, it's, it's an art, not a science. But then just understanding the simple liquidity cycles. Where are we in the, where are we in, I think you can get it on TradingView, global M2, year on year. If that's going positive, then crypto's going up. And it's cyclical. It's the nature of this everything code cycle we've been talking about. So that can give you a huge amount of comfort. It doesn't necessarily project prices. We've got price projections from the everything code, but I don't talk about them because, you know, the crypto market people, they take prices and they assume it's facts. You don't know. But what we do know is increasing liquidity, global M2, you can find that chart pretty straightforward. That works. The Fed balance sheet, that's another one. Fed net liquidity, that's another one. Or even if you can't access those, the ISM survey, when it's at the bottom and turning higher, which is where we've been for the last few months, that's a really good signal that the business cycle is about to improve in the future because we're at the bottom of it. So the future is going to be higher. And when you get much higher, when you get to 58, 60, 65 in the ISM survey, which is the best guide to the business cycle, is when you want to be reducing risk in the space because liquidity is going to change because normally interest rates start rising at that point. So there's some key macro indicators that just really help understand where you are and give you the confidence over the cycle in where to take risk and how to take risk. I feel like I'm starting to connect a lot of dots here as you speak about just like Metcalf's Law, like the Everything Code and a lot of other people that you have touched on throughout um, our chat so far. But I have two things that you mentioned, like two, two questions in one for you right now. First of all, like when you talk about Metcalf's Law and how do you, um, I mean, it's one of the things that of course you look at in order to try to understand value of specific networks, etc. I would like to ask you specifically for ETH, um, for example, when you think about it scaling via layer twos, for example, does that still fit into that concept? Uh, and also if yield and burn are in some kind of way quantify that because of course now you have yield that people are earning for staking their ETH and also you have ETH being burned. And I know that is, I mean, a big position that you have, but not touching a lot in the portfolio because they're still going to cover that. But like, how, how do you value that um, when trying to put it together? Yeah, so the, sorry, what was the first part? ETH and... Hello. Uh, uh, I so I think the first part. I was uh, muted. Yeah, <laughs> sorry for that, Welcome guys. Back. <laughs> yeah, no worries. But just like um, I'm trying to understand, for example, ETH scaling via L2s. That is oh, right. okay, into it. the Metcalf slot. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah. So L2s are just 
network activity, but they're light. Because you're batching transactions. I don't know what the multiplier is, depends on the layer two, but let's assume it's a thousand transaction um, on a layer two equals one ETH. So you need a lot of scale on the layer twos to add to the value of the network. But that's what the layer twos do. So it's a red herring to look at the layer twos per se. You kind of need to look at the network activity. But the more activity in the layer twos, the more it's going to use blockchain space on ETH itself. And that drives value to the network. So it does work. It's just not as intensive as, let's say, a NFT or something else that uses the mainnet. Um, in terms of ETH staking and yield, I did notice that ETH traded at a premium to its Metcalf's law somewhat as soon as the ETH burning mechanism started to come. So because it's now more deflationary and the staking yields, there is the market prices seem to have adjusted to take that into account. And that makes sense, you know, because it's different cash flows now than it used to be. So in which case it trades differently somewhat to its Metcalf's law valuation than, let's say, Bitcoin does or XRP does. So it's interesting. And I, and I think, you know, the, the ETH yield is a, is a very big story for the institution space because they, they do like yield. And I think that will continue to drive network value. 100%. And as we have more than 2K people listening to us right now, you mentioned one specific token, which is Sol, during your previous uh, response to us here. And I'd like to understand with you, because you have mentioned already about changing and rebalancing positions before and uh, potentially benefiting from the, for example, the BTC Ethereum cross in 2020, and more recently also talking about the Ethereum Sol cross, of course, in a very different scale, but just like looking at it in a quote-unquote similar way. Do you think so? still poised to keep up the recent run during the next bull market because I feel like I've seen you mentioning about it in other places before and I do know that a lot of people that are listening to us always like those of course tokens that are not I mean that are pumping more than others so just I mean give some hints on what you think about soul potential etc and how do you how are you looking at it at this very moment in the market so look I'm very bullish soul for this cycle of course there will be others that outperform but I find it harder when you go further out the risk curve to smaller tokens with less proof. So you don't know those first cycle tokens, what's going to do well. It's much more speculative. But Solana survived much like Ethereum survived in 2018 when it went down 97.5%. Solana was down 98% in a very similar circumstance. And what, that's, what I saw from the community is they rallied behind it and they continued to build And that was a signal to me that something different is happening. When I looked at it, I could see that there was a chart pattern that I started to like to make me think that it was going to outperform uh, Bitcoin. So I started buying Solana all the way through from June till November 2020. I didn't quite get the low, um, uh, 2022. And I've just since then been looking at the network activity, all the things being built on it, how it's happening and thought, you know, this is a fast, reliable, consumer-based chain where, which we could see mass adoption. Then there was a couple of game changers over the year. One was the ability to create compressed NFTs. Compressed NFTs mean, yeah, NFTs can be expensive to, to mint on Ethereum, but on Solana, you can mint a million for a hundred bucks. 
So that changes what you can do with NFTs. You can use it for ticketing. You can use it for all sorts of things. So that became extremely interesting to me. Then the next phase was learning about Fire Dancer. Now, Fire Dancer is a second validator to um, Solana developed by Jump Trading, which allows the Solana network to potentially go to a million TPS. Considering Solana is one of the fastest chains of the world at a theoretical 65,000 TPS, this scales it beyond anybody's imagination. So that makes it possible to use for the big applications in TradFi, stuff like high-frequency trading, exchanges, securities clearing, settlement, custody, all of that stuff. So when I saw that, I thought, okay, this is a total step change for crypto. So that got me very bullish. And then I waited for the chart pattern to confirm um, and it was the breakout of the Solana ETH cross. Um, and that was the signal. Yeah, I definitely personally echo that as well. I'm seeing the Solana ecosystem growing stronger and stronger. And um, because recently, uh, not just what you mentioned, but also the inscriptions on the different uh, L1s. We saw, for example, the ordinals for Bitcoin, but Solana has SPL20 as well. So now the Solana ecosystem have, have its own meme coin bank and all of those different wallets, different trading. I think you're right. Definitely we're seeing this growing very strong. And the price performance is very impressive. I personally haven't gone big on Solana yet, and I seriously regret. So I cannot yeah, I mean, say what, the same, Alice. I cannot say the same. Go ahead, I mean, bro. what I see is just, you know, what you're describing, Alice, is activity, right? It's vibrant. That's why it's performed so well. Yeah. There's just a lot of vibrancy going on in that ecosystem. Um, you know, others will have their time in the sun as well, but this, it just feels alive. And if it feels alive, it comes alive. That's a very good point. That's a really good point. And I'm curious, sir, because I want to also uh, know what you hold. What's in your portfolio right now and any changes recently this year? Well, my big change was was this year. Last year was adding Sol and adding ETH. And this year was switching a large part of my ETH into Sol. So I'm very overweight Sol, uh, less overweight ETH now, hold very little Bitcoin. Um, and then I have you know, the typical shrapnel dust you've got left in your wallet from the previous cycle where you got bets wrong. So I've got a bunch of that stuff. Um, I hold some of the newer tokens like SUI uh, to see how those ecosystems, because that's great technology as well. Um, other bits and pieces. But um, my main focus for this cycle is Solana. In fact, I, I've just interviewed Anatoly. He's going to be on Real Vision, I think, on Friday. So that's a great interview, and you'll get a scale of what is going on in Solana from that. Exciting. And I wish I heard uh, your portfolio earlier, by the way. <laughs> I wish I'd heard of this earlier. Yeah, well, it doesn't mean I'm right. So far, yeah, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> but excited also to understand a little bit of other things with you. We have prepared for you like a rapid fire quiz. Of course, you don't need to take it rapidly, but we are have a couple of questions for you today just to kind of wrap up this call. We are already 40 minutes into it. We have designed it for 45 minutes more or less, so we are very much on time. And um, of course, the idea here is for you to reply, I mean, as fast as possible, then you are, of course, uh, free to give us more context on what why is that your answer? Are you 100% ready for it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so let's start first. Would you rather buy ETH at tw in 2017 at around $10 or so in 2023 around $14? What do you think will end up playing out better? <laughs> oh, that's a really hard question. 
Um, probably ETH. And any reason behind it, like the more conviction, for example, one thing that I was discussing with Alice, I mean, earlier today, I think there are some ecosystems that are getting too big to fail in crypto a little bit, let's put it like this, not exactly, quote unquote, of course, but like is something around that, like why, why is that answer? I think you need to think of Ethereum as Android and Solana as Apple. One is a closed ecosystem. One is a much broader open ecosystem. Makes a lot of sense. And so over time, they, those tend to accrue more value. What I'm interested in is this cycle, where I think that Solana gets repriced as the number three um, layer one. Wow, that's that's quite interesting to hear. And another one, I think that not a lot, a lot of people know that you are a very big NFT guy as well, or just like I would say, I mean, someone that really believes in the NFT technology as it is. And I want to ask you, best NFT community of talk of communities that I kind of know you're into it. You can confirm it later, of course. But I mean, we have on the list here: punks, apes, wrecked guys, crypto dick butts, MFers. Like, which one is the best community? Of course, you're not talking about assets. You're not talking about value just community driven obviously the real vision collective <laughs> you know we have, a, we have a big we have a big community of like 10,000 15,000 token holders from the genesis nft to the uh, to you know real vision is a very special community otherwise i like them all they're just very different in nature you know i love the irreverence of wreck guy and mfers and crypto dick butts they're they're, they're, they're more fun. And then punks is kind of a more serious idea of, you know, I'm an OG in this space. Look at me, you know, let's network together. Uh, Bored Apes is a broader concept of where can Web3 go and what can we all do uh, to do that? So there's a lot of good communities out there and there's a lot of you know communities that are dead as well after the last cycle. So some will thrive and survive. Uh, others won't. And then there's the obviously the arts community, which is enormous and growing. And we're just seeing extraordinary things happening with generative art, um, you know, mixing, blending with photographic art, AI art, uh, traditional art, you know, and eventually we'll see NFTs much more prevalent in the music space and others. So there's a lot to come in NFTs. We've barely started. And just like, I mean, I'll add a question on top of it, not related to the rapid fire quiz here, but just like, I know that you also have like some businesses in the NFT or entertainment space as well, like sports, music, etc. Do you feel like that is something that's a narrative that is going to end up playing out this cycle, more long term type of thing? What's your take on this? Yeah, look, we can see big brands coming into the space. We've seen, uh, we've seen the sports industry coming into the space. We've seen the car industry via racing and other things coming into the space of Web3. We've seen um, music is hard because there's so many IP rights and so many people involved. But there's a, a lot of great teams building out products and trying to navigate that. So we're seeing that the entertainment industry has only done a small amount in the space. But the trapped value that exists in corporations like Disney, uh, Web3 can release a lot of that. So... I think we'll see a lot more from all of these communities in this cycle. The last cycle was the first time that they'd been involved. And, you know, it scares people when you have to go through a crypto cycle. But over time, they'll learn what's right and what's not. You know, people like Adidas learn all the way through the cycle and continue to do things in the cycle. The big um, 
fashion brands out of France um, have been all the way through this cycle. They've understood digital scarcity is no different than physical scarcity, and all they sell is physically scarce goods like expensive handbags. No reason to not have digitally scarce goods too. So yes, I'm still very bullish. I, I think of the next bull market or this bull market we're starting as the everything, everywhere, all at once cycle, because I think we'll see DeFi explode. We'll see the financial system getting much more heavily involved. We may see the first central bank digital currencies roll out. You know, we'll see the expansion of stable coins and the uses of those. We will see a, um, a growth in the Web3 use cases from brands and cultural communities of relevance. We will see um, institutions investing in the space. Um, we will see a lot. So this cycle is a really exciting because so much has been built ready for this. That's awesome to hear, and I do believe that a lot of things are going to just shift from what we have seen in the past because narratives are always shifting, always changing, and that's how every market is, and crypto is absolutely no difference. Next question, a portfolio made only of BTC and ETH or only altcoins? I think that is kind of like, um, I mean, complicated question, but what you rather have? Well, it depends on your time horizon. If your time horizon, it depends whether you can choose good altcoins. I find that very hard. Some people are good at it. Generally speaking, a portfolio of ETH and Bitcoin held over any extended period will do better than most things. Most altcoins never get back to the previous highs versus um, Bitcoin or ETH. So, you know, if you're a newbie to the space, just hold the two key assets and chill. Go to the beach. Don't need to do anything. If you're a true degen, then you'll, you'll end up trading altcoins. The way to deal with your inner degen that many people have is very simple. Put 80 or 90% of your assets in um, ETH and Bitcoin, and the rest you can trade. And then you can't mess it up. You can't go horribly wrong. You can't make a mistake in an ecosystem that gets rugged or something like that. Yeah. 100% the hard parts I, I would say is to keep that 10% as 10% you're few too new to the space chances higher are that you end up like with that 10% becoming I mean less than 10% of your portfolio but like one question now that I think we'll tell you and people that are listening that we are very much into real vision and your content in general it's more of a personal question not necessarily related to crypto but doing lives and AMAs for rest of life without drinks or cooking with air fryers for rest of life that's a tricky <laughs> one as well and I know you like it do you it. drink for every AMA or live? <laughs> no I don't I just do it for fun like once a month or so I do this drinks with Raul thing and you can anybody's not seen them you can just go to my YouTube channel which is Raul Pal the journeyman uh, and they periodically come on there and I have a bit of fun you know because I do so many interviews it's just fun to kind of engage with the community on a one-to-one -one basis kind of break down the barriers have a drink have a laugh um, make fun of each other and uh, hopefully uh, give a bit of alpha as well so the answer to your question is Can I do the AMAs without drinks or do I have to cook with an air fryer for the rest of my life? Exactly. It's a hard one, I know. <laughs> That's hard because I, I just think, yeah, I'm, yeah, air fryers and me, I just don't like them. I'm going to go with, I, I would do the AMAs without drinks. Hey, okay. And, and you, we can tell wow. it's a hard answer because you're just like, I'm going with 
uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, so I think so far <laughs> that's probably the hardest one to answer. But like I, I would say that I mean you got to I, I think you got it right because cooking with air fryers definitely is. I don't know. I think I'm on your team there. Not not something. But I love <laughs> air all. fryers. I don't know what's up with that, guys. It's just it just doesn't feel right. It's just like <laughs> a, a hot box that you cook food in. Feels like a microwave, and I don't use a microwave either. You know, you know, I. I like the creative process of cooking. I like flame and I like, you know, oil and I like, you know, how that all does. It's just a, it's just a great creative process. And okay, now I'm really hungry. <laughs> and it's good because I do know that some people, depending on the time zone, are either now getting close to lunchtime or just like some people in the evening also going for dinner. So last but not least, another question for you. This has a time horizon, which is five year role. Would you rather hold ETH or so for the next five years? That's a trick question because five years may, of course, fall into the bear market again. Like, but what's your take on this? It's another good question. Because, no, I think Sol will, 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 will stabilize against ETH over its next bull cycle, over the next bear cycle. I, I'm probably going to go for Sol. Probably go for That's Sol. interesting. Yeah, I like that answer. I like that answer. And I definitely, like, honestly speaking, I don't think you can go wrong with both of them, to be very honest. But let's, I mean, the, let's see what the future holds. It's going to be very interesting to see. Alice, any takes on that? Like, anything you'd like to share before we ask Ro also, like, his final considerations on this live? I think that people learned not just a lot in the macrosphere crypto, but also about air fryers and drinks as well. So it was <laughs> quite a funny event I here. I really love this. And it's just coming back to the original point when we open the live saying November last year 2022 what was happening with the market back then versus where we are right now I think we're definitely well set looking uh, forward it's very positive landscape from here so I'm very excited about that I am too and let's see how it goes Raul F before we jump like um, we wrap up the live just wanted to ask you if there are any final considerations anything that you didn't touch on during this live that you'd like to and also I mean how can people get like in touch with real vision content etc please share all of this with us I do know that now you're also present here in CMC community which is a new platform that we are building also would like your takes on it like what you feel about the live the environment more than 2k people joining here live chat tons of questions so how do you feel about that as well yeah, so uh, this is great. I like this native experience because, you know, everybody here is a crypto person. So it's kind of fun. So this is great. Um, what were the other two questions? How can people actually get in touch with Real Vision content oh, yeah. and you, I mean? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm everywhere. So you can find me on Twitter. So at Raoul, R-A-O-U-L-G-M-I. Um, that's one place. The other is if you like the kind of content I produce, Ralph Pal, the journeyman, free YouTube channel. Um, and you can see me interviewing amazing people. That interview with, with Anatoly from Solana will be out on, on Saturday. There's an interview of somebody interviewing me, Julia LaRoche, came on the platform today. So do that. But the real thing is, is go and check out the Real Vision platform. It, it's a truly unique experience. Um, and that's realvision.com. It's free. Tons of content, written, video content, embedded AI to help you understand things. Um, you know, we've, we've built out education, we've built out so many things. And that's the key point I want to leave people is, listen, it's an exciting space. It's driven by FOMO, speculation, fear and greed. That's all okay. 
but just educate yourselves first. Understand what drives these things and understand the risks you're taking because there is so much opportunity. It's it's literally the biggest macro opportunity of all time. And it's so easy to just fuck it up by doing stupid things. And it goes back to that conversation we were having before about just owning Bitcoin and ETH and then speculating on other stuff is a much better thing than trying to make the 1,000x, the 100x, the 50x in some token because somebody mentioned it to you. That stuff doesn't work. You really have to know what you're doing. So just educate yourself, understand what it is, what the space is about, and the opportunities will come. And the opportunities are much bigger than any other space. So be patient, have a long-term time horizon, and enjoy yourself. 100%. Alice, you unmake yourself. Do you want to say something? I just want to say that's a really good message. Thanks for that. That's it, folks. And remember, while we offer insights here and under this show, of course, is financial advice. We always recommend you to do your own research before making absolutely any investment decisions. Now, to all the people listening to us right now, thank you very much for tuning in. If you want to catch it live, CMC Lives here in action, make sure to download the CMC app and turn on your notifications because you certainly don't want to miss out on this valuable and unique content. And that's it for today, our show with Robo. Huge thank you, Alice. And of course, course, to Raul for sharing his insights and helping us understand even more of macro and crypto markets. See you guys here in the next CMC Live. Stay informed, stay safe, and keep huddling. Bye-bye, guys. See you soon. Thank you, Raul. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, all. People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year and the numbers become astronomical. AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just going to be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.